as yesterday's election was underway, our resident historian Felix Bunnell checked in with three elder statesmen of Washington state politics for some perspective and the long view of democracy in America. Felix brought to us by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Good morning. Morning, Dave. Yeah, you know, politics goes way back in the Northwest. Um, we've talked here before about the gathering at Shampooey, now part of Oregon, back in 1843. That's where settlers created their own provisional government before the U.S. had officially taken over. And we talked about the Cowlitz Convention back in 1851 when settlers gathered north of the Columbia to split off Washington from Oregon. Now, none of the three guys I spoke with yesterday go quite back that far. (laughs) Um, But I did convene a little phone panel with three-term Republican Governor Dan Evans, who also served in the U.S. Senate. He's in his 90s. Uh, Three-term Seattle Mayor Charles Royer, a Democrat who's in his 80s. And three-term Democratic King County Executive Ron Sims, who's in his 70s. What I was looking to find out was some historical perspective as to whether or not democracy was truly on the ballot or even hanging in the balance. I mean, it was sort of nip and tuck there for a while. Now, all three, Evans, Royer, and Sims, I would say rejected that notion. Dan Evans said the country has seen tumultuous and violent times before. What's different now is the decline of true media outlets and the rise of social media and the 24-hour misinformation and inflammatory rhetoric. And what it's done is uh, is push people into being uh, 100% opponents rather than being just political and policy opponents. And that's where I think we've created a difficult time that's going to take some some skill and some uh, leadership to change. Now, you know, the Facebook uh, soap opera and Twitter's troubles you know, notwithstanding, the Internet isn't going away. And all that skill and leadership part, I think, is easier said than done. And a big part of that skill and leadership emerging, says Charles Royer, is about the timing and about the public will necessary to tackle the big issues. He used Lake Washington as a metaphor in the effort 60 years ago to clean up what had become so choked with sewage that kids couldn't swim in it anymore. That's when you build a sewer system and get everybody to put money into it to a wastewater treatment system. You know, the lake hasn't doesn't smell bad enough right now. But by God, it looks to me like it's going to really, really put up a stinker in the next few years. Yeah, so Charles Rory believes the political lake doesn't smell bad enough right now. Um, he thinks it's going to get worse. Um, he thinks the 2020 election deniers and former President Trump certainly have the ability to make that lake smell a lot worse. Now, um, former King County Executive Ron Sims pointed to earlier challenging eras in American history where social and political change didn't come fast enough. But looking around now, he sees reasons to be hopeful. I'm the optimist, believing that this is not the first time that, that we've d- drug our feet in this country. You know, I, sometimes I want to, I don't have much hair left, so I can't pull any more out. But <laughs> it's one of those things where I look and say, I think we're at a, a time, a moment. And I think uh, over the next two to three years, we're going to see some significant changes that will uh, actually push back what we assume may happen that's bad and move forward with things that we think are going to be to the our country's benefit. Now, Dan Evans, Charles Royer, and Ron Sims are all optimistic about the future. They all think it's key that young people get active in their communities and that good people who want to serve their communities get into politics and run for office, not just those hungry for power. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big difference. Um, they say political differences are inevitable, and that's not a bad thing, right? Um, but honesty is critical. It was cool. At one point, Charles Royer said that though he didn't share Ronald Reagan's philosophy, he was a pretty good president and an honest man. And then he praised Dan Evans, whose nickname was Straight Arrow, for his honesty. Um, 
So the big takeaway is that American democracy, especially when times feel uncertain, it's really about the long game. You know what? We're coming up on the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Ron Sims thinks the biggest threat we're currently dragging our feet on is climate change. But he's philosophical about meeting all the challenges ahead. This country is the world's grand experiment. And we still have to keep experimenting if we want future generations to have a quality of life and fewer problems and more joy in their life, more love in their life, less war in their life, less disease in their life, and more hope in their life. And I think that we can do that. We can do that. So there you go. Wow. How did you get these guys all together? You know, um, I've noticed politicians, former elected officials all generally love history. Uh-huh. And I think if I if I hang out the history there as a bait about talking about you know their their legacies how they the stuff they contributed to, they're, they're and those guys are all good friends of this show. We've talked to each of them before yeah, about different right. stuff, and I just I love being able to get them all together on the phone like that and have them talking to each other. We talked for like an hour. That's just some minor, huh. just a few highlights. Did you get from, a sense that I even missed being in the game? Oh, I think they all do, Dave. Really? Really? <laughs> I think I think that never goes really? away. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, the fun parts of it. I don't think anybody misses doing fundraising, I would say. Yeah. But I think being called on to talk about what's relevant and what's going on and being part of the conversation, that never goes away. Yeah. Felix Bedell, all his features at MyNorthwest.com. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. And here he is, the chief economist for Windermere Real Estate, Matthew Gardner, to give us his read on the uh, economy. Let's talk about the business climate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you were concerned about the uh, city of Seattle's jumpstart tax. Are you still seeing this is the one that's a uh, basically a tax on salaries above a certain amount in large companies? Uh, has that uh, indeed caused companies to move out of Seattle or not to expand as much? Here? I, I well, we, I think we're, a lot of companies right now are in that period of they're not sure if they're going to expand or how that's going to look, and that's really based around uh, working remotely. And so companies are not quite sure what direction they're going to be going. We've certainly seen a slowing in hiring, mainly because of the expectation that we can have a recession next year, which I believe will be the case. So people tend not to grow that much. But my concern over that particular proposal is that it is just citywide. Now, if you want to try and address things like that, wouldn't one have to look at it on a regional basis? Because yeah, you don't think do so. that. Well, then it's very easy to hop on I-90 or 520 right. uh, and over you go to Bellevue or Kirkland uh, and where those taxes don't exist. So I think it's a very slippery slope when you start trying to tax companies just within the city limits itself because there are companies have options. I just heard you predict a recession next year. That is correct. Okay, so uh, we're seeing layoffs at Twitter. Of course, that has more to do with you know their their peculiar circumstances. But also, we heard about layoffs at uh, Facebook as well. Uh, are we going to see that kind of stuff? I mean, I know Twitter has a pretty small footprint here, but Facebook has a pretty big one, right? Google has a pretty big footprint here. They, they? do. And I, I, mean, I think for, if Google goes, well, obviously Google just bought their campus in South Lake Union. So yeah. I think it's highly unlikely they're going to go anywhere given what they paid for that. But yeah, I mean, I, and the reason being, again, go back and blame the Fed. Uh, the Fed is trying to transition us into a soft landing uh, in terms of slowing down the economy in order to address inflation. Historically, however, they've done a really lousy job at soft landings. Invariably, when they start start raising rates. They start raising them too late. We should, in my opinion, have been raising rates a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, And they continue raising them too long. 
I think we'll see them do another 50 basis point increase in December. They'll miss January and then probably two quarter point increases in February and March. But by that point in time, uh, I think we'll go, we will enter a, a, a slowdown recession. Yeah. I mean, negative quarters of, of economic growth, but nothing like 2007, uh, nothing like 2000 here in Seattle, which obviously mm-hmm. was the. But you think there will be layoffs then? Uh, I think I expect to see some. I expect to see the unemployment rate across the country uh, increase from where it is right now in the, in the mid threes up to probably just north of 5%. Not bad. And it's not that bad because the labor force, the labor market is so tight today. Yeah. But even if we do see those layoffs, we're, we're still in a pretty good starting place to allow us to uh, work our way through uh, any economic contraction next year and then come out of it uh, in 2024 and start growing again. But that's going to delay downtown's comeback. I'm talking about Seattle now, isn't it? Potentially, yeah. yeah. Uh, it could. Uh, and I think that I mean, the efforts certainly are clearly being made uh, to try and get people to come back. But the trouble is for a lot of companies. And quite frankly, I've spoken to business owners who are saying they're actually looking forward to a slowdown in the economy. Huh. Because right now, they're trying to encourage their workers to come back. And the workers are saying, well, no, make me. Uh, yeah. I'll go down the street if you, if you force me to. Now, if we do see a slowdown, start seeing that unemployment rate start to rise, well, then the shoe might move on to the other foot. And then the employer uh, is in a better position to start saying to his staff, no, you, you've got to come back, whether it be two, three days a week or, or whatever that decision is going to be. It's just a very confusing point in time for business owners right now. And that naturally hurts downtown Seattle, which yeah. works when there's 300,000 people there, right. nine to five. Windermere Chief Economist Matthew Gardner. Hannah Scott joins us live now here in the studio. You were up as late as I was last night at the uh, GOP election night party. How was I that? I was, yes. Um, it, you know, uh, people were excited there, uh, both before and after we got the initial ballot returns. Uh, we started off with the state party chair, Caleb Heimlich, uh, really managing expectations uh, in the speech he gave before the drop, uh, saying, look, this want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. We expect tonight's results to be our lowest point of all of the returns that we get here over the next several days. We think that Republicans are voting late. And I will say that I talked to many uh, Republican voters who were just there as in support of, of the Republican Party last night who told me that they voted yesterday. So so we'll see uh, if those numbers really change. Um, the big moment came um, after, uh, you know, when they when he did go over the results, when they first came through a lot of boos, right, when they looked at the, the U.S. Senate race between Tiffany Smiley and Patty Murray, and then the third congressional, eighth congressional district. I thought that maybe they were a little worse than expected, um, but I didn't get a confirmation on that. At at nine o'clock, we heard from Tiffany Smiley, who was up there with her whole family on the stage. She was emotional, sounded like she might have been kind of fighting off some tears there a little bit. Obviously, uh, being on the campaign trail takes a lot out of you. But the key and what we were all waiting to see, because at that point, as I was approaching the stage to get to her for this speech, I'm looking at my phone and I'm seeing CNN, MSNBC, various networks all calling that race for Patty Murray. So um, everyone's hanging on all of Tiffany Smiley's words, waiting to see if she's going to concede. And here's what she said. So I'm not disappointed with anything that I'm seeing tonight because 50 over 50 percent of the vote is still out, folks. 
And so as she went on to say she is uh, she is fighting. She's going to fight for the state, fight for, for what's right, for Republican values, all of the above. Meantime, uh, Patty Murray at the Democratic headquarters spoke. She gave the last speech of the night. She, too, actually seemed very emotional to me in, in her speech. I think she thought she may have been at risk uh, this time around was the impression yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah. yeah, right. I think throughout her speech, she was very, very grateful. A lot of thank yous that were yeah. really heartfelt. Here's a little about what she said. All of you who knocked on doors and made phone calls, all of you who donated and texted and did everything you could or just just watched, no matter what you did, you threw yourself into this fight to keep our democracy a democracy. There you go. Um, over at the Republican headquarters, I got a t- chance to talk to some of the Republican voters again after the drop. Uh, unmoved, really. They were all very much the same as when I talked to them before. Mm-hmm. You know, they were buying into that this may be uh, something that is going to take a few days to figure out. And that is exactly what we got from the uh, from Caleb Heimlich. Here's a little bit what he told me afterwards. I expect the results to get better. I think tonight is the low point. So then the question is, how much do we gain in the coming days? And when you look at both the 8th and the 3rd, it's about a five-point gap. So that's about what it moved in the primary, certainly in the 3rd. I mean, Joe Kent was down, and then he went ahead. So if, if there's a lot of late ballots breaking his way, then he could certainly pull that off. And I think Matt Larkin is still very much in it as well. So for both the 3rd and the 8th, I think we're right on that edge of what is possible. It just depends on what the trends are. And given that, there's a lot of legislative districts that are in that same band, in the 42nd and the 10th and the 26th, where if things go our way, we could still go up a couple in the Senate and a couple or more in the House. So it's all it's all about the remaining ballots. So we'll, we'll re- yep. wait and see. All right. Yep. Yeah, and, and they're right. There's still more than 50 percent to count. And the community is still looking for answers as to why a suspect opened fire at Ingram High School and killed a student on the campus yesterday. In the studio with us, Car News Radio's Sam Campbell. So what do you know? Yeah, Dave. So at 9.55 a.m. yesterday, uh, police get reports of shots having been fired. We learned that it took just four minutes from those reports to when police get to the school. That's what police tell us. Officers go into the building and police find a person with a gunshot wound. By the time I get there, it's about 10.30 and there is a heavy, heavy police presence and a growing crowd of parents outside uh, the school. One of the parents I speak with Kevin Chung told me he was sitting at home when he started to get text messages from his son. And I have a clip here I'd like to play, so I'm going to do that. I've been in contact with him since uh, got in lockdown. Um, I was just at home and started receiving text messages uh, from him that he wanted a year just not to come up to the school and that he was okay and that he loved us. But um, it was... Above and beyond that, it was totally nondescript, so my heart started to sink, and I just drove up as fast as I could. So he gets to the school, and he tells me that he he sees the victim being carried out. Uh, Seattle Public Schools later confirming to us that that person was a student. Uh, That student was taken to Harborview, but as we heard from Mayor Bruce Harrell at the press conference yesterday, the student died. Uh, They have not been identified. Now, do we know what was behind this? We don't. Uh, That's the short version. We don't know a motive yet. Students I spoke with at the school were under the impression that it started as a fight between two of the That's the impression I got from what the mayor said, that there was some kind of argument. And 
what we know from the school, uh, or at least the superintendent tell us, tells us it was a targeted attack. Uh, they, they didn't go into detail there. Uh, they didn't confirm exactly what happened, but we, we, I did hear from students uh, there that they thought it was a fight uh, between yeah. two students. And the suspect, of course, uh, was arrested. Police tell us they found the suspect on a bus uh, and dispelled any rumors of a second suspect. Wow. Did, now, did he still have the gun? Do we know? They said they recovered a firearm. So he, he was on the bus with the gun then? I'm not sure if they had if he had the gun on his person, but what we do know they is recovered that police, the weapon. Police say that they did recover a weapon and that they uh, did arrest. And, and we and presumably, well, I guess he could have been 18 and had it legally. We don't know though, huh? Sure, but you know this happened about an hour after the initial reports uh, oh. came in, so it all happened very quickly. To, so quick, in fact, while the police uh, police chief Adrian Diaz was giving this statement to reporters at the scene. He's interrupted by another police officer who comes up and whispers in his ear, and then he tells us the suspect has been apprehended. Yeah. Uh, so this all happened very quickly, and the entire time there's this growing crowd of parents outside of the school. I don't very, blame them. <laughs> very anxious. And I'd very have gone worried. down there, too. If I'd um, so, yeah, and then about 20 to 30 minutes after that, after we learn that the suspect has been arrested, uh, the parents are being re- reunited with mm-hmm. their with their children, and it's and it's happening one by one. They're calling the names over so, the loudspeaker. So did they cut school short then and all go home, or what happened? Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah, 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 there was a lockdown, okay. and then, uh, you know, the students sheltered in their classes. That's what they told us. They hid behind So they went the through walls. the whole drill then, huh? Yeah, and it was, was it, what, it was heartbreaking to hear the students say, you know, well, we did what we were, you know, trained to do yeah. with these lockdown oh, of procedures. Course. Was, um, now, was there just the one shot fired, or... Students say that they heard multiple shots. Heard multiple. Uh, it differs between the students, you know, if you who you ask how many shots. But regardless, it sounds like several shots were heard. Um, police did not comment on exactly how many shots were fired. Hmm. Well, still a lot more to uh, learn, including what the fight was. Uh, how old was he? Could he legally have the gun? And you can't bring guns to school anyway, right? I mean, that's already against the rules, I assume. I would assume as well. <laughs> However, you know, the school district did not comment and yeah. neither did police on how this suspect may have brought the weapon yeah. into the school and students weren't sure. Either. I'm guessing no metal detectors there, right, that you saw? We asked about metal detectors, but all I heard from students were was that, you know, no one gets checked unless there's a reason. A reason, yeah. And, and there wasn't. Uh, any reason that anyone may have known at this point. That's what students had told me. Yeah. All right. Pretty disturbing. Sam, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Car News Radio's Sam Campbell. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Baird. Turning 30 years old is a milestone, but it can also be scary for some. Instead of a crisis, when Brian Chalascos turned 29, he decided to channel his anxiety into something good. The California native telling NBC Bay Area TV. Evening around the corner, I thought probably now would be a good time to do some self-reflection. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me was I realized all the achievements and successes were not possible without the generosity and kindness of others. Because so many people have helped me along this journey. And I decided for my last year of my 20s, I wanted to give back by doing 30 acts of kindness. The 30 Acts by 30 Challenge was born. Brian was up all day and most of the night, making more than 400 individual fans for firefighters for his first act of kindness. We had 17 condensed milks. I mean, we got three packets of sugar. 
excuse me, flans, the delicious flans. dessert. The flan was then delivered to every fire station in the city of San Jose, where his brother lives. That's 32 in all. Brian says he knew right away it would be a big part of these acts because that's when he learned growing up. I attribute it to my mother, right? Just as a young child, we were always baking together in the kitchen and we would always, you know, make a little extra and give it to our church, our family, our friends. So she really instilled that inside me. Always making a little extra. He delivered the flan over the course of two days. Brian says the overwhelmingly positive response has made him even more determined than ever to complete his mission of 30 acts of kindness before 30. But he's also interested in others doing the same. That is my goal, really. It's my hope is uh, through my acts, I can inspire um, people to give back in their own way, right? It could be as small as holding the door for somebody. Or it can be as big as giving fun to every firefighter, right? You know, I think the key here is, is to do something because one act can lead to hundreds and it can you know, start a chain reaction of kindness. One little step at a time. Mm, there's nothing better than an unexpected delicious dessert showing up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Still votes left to count. We don't know who's going to control the Senate yet. Might come down to a Georgia runoff yet again. Don't know who will control the House yet. So let's see what G. Scott thinks about what happened last night. Um, I think last night was clear. I think, especially here in the state of Washington, the GOP has a Trump problem. And the Trump problem, what I mean by that is, is they are the ex that keeps getting invited to the holiday party, but it does not want you to move on. And so you're going to have to rethink your strategy. Let's talk about the last big elections that have happened here in this state. Let's go to the governor race that happened when Lauren Culp went against Jay Inslee. That was the best candidate that the GOP can come up with was Lauren Culp. And then now you had the race for Senate when you start talking about going against Patty Murray. There's a lot of people that just say, oh, well, then Patty Murray's been there for so long. Well, then come with a candidate that's going to come with something that is a little bit closer to the truth. Don't say things like Patty Murray is the reason for inflation. Don't say that Patty Murray is the reason for crime when that's not true. And matter, matter of fact, even if you don't listen to what I'm saying, even if you think you don't believe me, what I learned last night is here in the state of Washington that voters are more informed than people think, right? So you see that very clear. So the message now is you're going to have to do a better job in not being so radical and actually maybe appeal to more of the moderate way of looking at things. Kind of a kind of a balance. That's what I look took forward to I looked into last night. Yeah. It shows I think it shows that uh Trump is not always the key to winning an election for no. Republicans. That that doesn't sell quite as well as it had. Ask Joe Kent. Yeah. But he uh but Trump is not uh, you know his influence is not completely gone. JD Vance won in Ohio and he, he got some other wins as well. He actually uh he's apparently claiming th- that he won 324 elections last night, uh, if you include some of the state offices. I just think that after a while, if you're a Trump fan, the the braggadocio wears thin after a while. Because you, you can predict, right, Colleen, everything he's saying? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's getting a lot. And, you know, you're hearing reports this morning where he's now furious at his wife for suggesting that he back Mehmet Oz. And of course, we know uh, Dr. Oz lost to Fetterman. And and so, you know, just this idea that I, I don't know, for me, when I saw that tweet, I was like, I don't know if I can handle another cycle in which 
the news headline is reaction from an immature adult who can't handle defeat, who can't handle victory graciously. I'm exhausted at the language this morning, too. You know, there was a soundbite in one of my newscasts. Our reporters were out at the watch parties. And uh, one of the uh, Republican, uh, I guess, supporters who was at one of the watch parties, she's like, Democrats are right. This is a fight for the country. And I'm just tired of that language. We're not fighting each other anymore. We're not battling each other. This is America. We do this together. And I know it's been a tough six years, but if we could stop calling elections battles and fights like we go to war every two years, that's what scares me the most is that it's becoming normalized to be, you know, at each other's teeth 24-7 as Americans. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I, 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 for one, as a news anchor, don't want to hear that language anymore in newscasts. Let's yeah. not feed into this idea that we're at war with each other. So, Jeff, if there was a message, what, did you, what, did you, what do you think it is? I think the message is, is we are, I feel like we are on a path to the op- what uh, Colleen is saying. I think that coming up, there's just going to be a rethinking of strategy and we are now going forward. I think we're going to do away with going away from this whole election denying and the results. I actually felt good last night. I can actually see Like, I feel like I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. In that. So that's my takeaway of not even about the different waves. I'm with Colleen on this. Uh, she's absolutely right as far as these whole battles and things like that in the elections and, and the state of Arizona really, really just said, hey, Carrie Lake, um, no, no, thank you. No, you don't you don't want to uh, approve of the results. You want to still continue with that. Let me show you. And votes matter. People yeah. actually are actually well informed. And that's yeah. another thing I took last night. You, you're going to have to rethink your strategy. If you plan on trying to just simple, make it simple, like, oh, this is and this and this and crime and inflation. You better you better be ready to back it up. You better have a plan on what you're going to do, because those talking points, they sound good on radio. They sound good in campaign ads. When pe- they people go, they don't work anymore. They're not working for the under thirty crowd, which came out in droves, and, and we see droves. that they moved the needle. Under thirty Facts. crowds, not buying that. Yeah. G. Scott at nine with Ursula and Kyron News Radio. Thanks, G. Let's get a look at the state legislature now. That's why we have Kyrie News Radio's Hannah Scott here. State Legislature, Hannah. Hi. Uh, good morning, Dave. So the big question was, would we see much of a balance uh, shift in the balance of power in Olympia uh, heading into the midterm elections? Uh, right now, the majorities that Democrats hold are significant uh, in the House. They've got a 57-41 majority, 28-21 in the Senate. So there was going to be uh, some significant pickups needed should they uh, get anywhere as far as moving the needle on the balance of power. The big, big race in the legislature was the 26th Senate uh, Legislative District, where we had Senator Emily Randall, a Democrat, up against uh, Republican Representative Jesse Young. Right now, the initial results show it's a 50, 53%, it looks like, for Emily Randall to 48% for Young. So it's still possible uh, that, that that could shift. That's pretty tight. Uh, also, the other one in the 47th District, I believe this is the seat exited by Democrat David 
frocked in the Senate. Uh, Claudia Kaufman is a former lawmaker. She's still up over William Boyce, 53.5 percent, 50 to 46. So seven or so points. And then Whatcom County, this is the seat that was a really big target. This is the one that held Republican just barely in the last uh, election for Doug Erickson, the late Doug Erickson, longtime lawmaker who passed away after he got COVID. Um, and Simon Sev- Sevsik was uh, the Republican who was appointed to that. He's trying to keep that seat, but he is right now trailing Democrat Sharon Shoemake. Uh, this is a tight one, though. Uh, it looks like uh, Sharon Shoemake has 51% to Simon's 49%. So that's a pretty tight race. All of those could go. I got a chance at the Republican Party last night to run into. Um, our state Senate Republican leader, John Braun, and here's what he had to say about the results. Well, I think this is sort of what we expected. It's really close. Um, we know in Washington that the uh, the way our, our election system works, we often don't know the actual result on, on election night. Uh, historically, Rep- Republicans vote pretty late. So I think our, our key races in, in LD26 and LD42 and LD47, they're all still very much in the hunt. And we're just going to have to stay on top of it and, and watch the election results come in over the next few days. But I'm going to I'm going to stay optimistic because I, I know that Washington state needs a, a more balanced legislature. And as far as shifting the balance of power in Olympia in the Senate? The number of seats you would need to regain control as Republicans is not in the cards for this, this particular election. It doesn't election. look like it. I mean, we, we're at 21, uh, so we need four seats to get to 25 in a majority. But I would tell you, you know, balance doesn't have to mean a Republican majority. Balance can mean we close the gap a little bit, which means we have to have a more deliberative, thoughtful approach that considers the, asset, the impacts on all of the state. And I think that's better for our state. So that's what, right now it looks like they could pick up maybe one seat in the Senate, but uh, mm-hmm. even a, a little bit of movement could be could be significant. And also remember that we had a lot of Democrats leave both in the Senate and the House last year. Yeah. So there will be different Democrats, even if they do stay Democrats. So it'll be a little different makeup, I think. I didn't follow any state elections except for our you know local ones in our in our district. Was was there anybody who did uh, overtly try to ride Trump's coattails? Uh, not, uh, I think, you know, there's a uh, representative Robert Sutherland who was up for reelection and I haven't looked at his numbers this morning. Um, he, he had been out, uh, over previous years and, and kind of uh, ridden on the coattails of, of Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. was an election denier, uh, things like that held some of those rallies we saw down at Olympia last year. Uh, he was coming out and he was trailing. So, uh, we uh, just, again, by a very little bit in his district, which I believe is up in Snohomish County. Um, but other than that no i didn't see a lot of uh, wasn't a lot of noise in our state legislative districts this year there was a lot of money though in the 26th district 26th district it was one of the most expensive one thing i want to point out before we run out of time is that what is leading by significant i want to say it's a 60 percent of the vote in the initial results is the change in the way that we do elections in king county mm-hmm. so this would uh I, i'm going to let andrew uh villeneuve explain a little bit about this he's with the northwest progressive institute this is something they conceived uh, basically, it would shift the elections from all elections in King County to the even years, right? So your county, right. uh, down Constantine, all of the county council races, and it says it's important because it's going to bring a more div- diverse group of folks to the to the election. 
passes, we will elect by the end of this decade the executive, the assessor, the elections director, and nine council positions in even-numbered years. And this will mean that far higher numbers of voters will be voting on these positions, and also the turnout will be far more diverse, with more young people, more renters, more working-class voters, and more voters of color participating in the selection of the leaders that we're going to have in the future. So imagine instead of 572,000 people voting for a couple of candidates like Dow Constantine and Joe Wynn, imagine 1.1 million voters weighing in on that office. So yeah. uh, that's that's the that, just that makes that. sense. I think that was a, a good idea, and that's that is uh, winning easy. It looks like, mm-hmm. and on the King County Prosecuting Attorney's race, yes. so you're, you're close to the office there. That that sort of surprises me that Lisa Mannion is so far ahead. I think uh, a few people were surprised about that as well. So we'll see if that holds. Uh, I think you know Jim Farrell, the mayor of a Federal Way, who was also a former prosecutor in the prosecutor's office here in King County, uh, came out strong on the on the crime, and that yeah. was kind of the drum that the Republicans beat across the board, right? They were focused on the crime, uh, public safety messaging that we saw that in the mayors from South Sound, uh, including Jim Farrell from the South County and then also up in Snohomish County. There was a video put out by the sheriff's office up in Snohomish County. They all beat that drum. It didn't seem to move much of anything, which was a bit of a surprise to me. So I'm going to see how things play out over the next few days if the Republican vote comes in late. Right now, though, yeah, Lisa Manion's up by, I believe it's 10 10 points. Yeah, 69% to 30%. Yeah. And and she I wonder if part of that is because that in the last year, that office has reached out to you and I presume others to make it clear that, yes, they do take crime seriously and they are sentencing people to substantial periods of time whenever the guidelines allow them to. And they have I, I, I do know that they uh, reach out specifically to us in our Monday morning segment with Crime and Punishment, yeah. where uh, we kind of get the exclusive on that. But they are definitely being more vocal about shining a light on what they do, because there was so many people saying that, you know, Dan Satterberg doesn't prosecute right. anybody and everybody just gets a free pass. And that's not the case. And a lot of that ended up having to do with the former city prosecutor, right. Pete Holmes. So there was a lot of... Kind I can of- see it's frustrating if, you're, if, you, if you've if you devoted your life to fighting crime, putting people away, to pick up the newspaper or listen to the radio and and hear people saying, they never lock anybody up, when in fact they're doing it every day. They do it every day. And, yeah. and what needs to be dug into deeper there is that there's a big, big part of that that is judicial, right? So you've yeah. got to look at the, the judges and you've got to look at the prosecutors. And those and are got, the races that get the least attention. They get the least attention yeah. because people are like, I don't know, what's going on there? So, but, you know, again, we have the shortage of cops, so you don't get the cops to do the investigations and the number of days that they're allowed to have to get that to the prosecutor's office in order to do charges. That's part of the reason you don't see some of these prosecutions. Then we have a severe lack of prosecutors also. So a lot of things to dig into there. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how that prosecutor's race plays out if Lisa holds. If you have a law degree and you're looking for work, become a prosecutor (laughs) or a judge, please. Uh, Thank you, Uh, Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott. Thank you, Hannah. You bet. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.